Correspondence with the Emperor Trajan by Gaius Plinius Cacilius Secundus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. 97. To the Emperor Trajan. Footnote. This letter is esteemed as almost the only genuine monument of ecclesiastical antiquity relating to the times immediately succeeding the Apostles, it being written, at most, not above forty years after the death of St. Paul. It was preserved by the Christians themselves as a clear and unsuspicious evidence of the purity of their doctrines, and is frequently appealed to by the early writers of the Church against the calumnies of their adversaries. End footnote. It is my invariable rule, sir, to refer to you in all matters where I feel doubtful. For who is more capable of removing my scruples or informing my ignorance? Having never been present at any trials concerning those who profess Christianity, I am unacquainted not only with the nature of their crimes or the measure of their punishment, but how far it is proper to enter into an examination concerning them. Whether, therefore, any difference is usually made with respect to ages, or no distinction is to be observed between the young and the adult. Whether repentance entitles them to a pardon, or if a man has been once a Christian, it avails nothing to desist from his errors. Whether the very profession of Christianity unattended with any criminal act, or only the crimes themselves inherent in the profession, are punishable. On all these points I am in great doubt. In the meanwhile, the method I have observed toward those who have been brought before me as Christians is this. I asked them whether they were Christians. If they admitted it, I repeated the question twice and threatened them with punishment. If they persisted, I ordered them to be at once punished, for I was persuaded whatever the nature of their opinions might be, a contumacious and inflexible obstinacy certainly deserved correction. There were others also brought before me possessed with the same infatuation, but being Roman citizens, I directed them to be sent to Rome. Footnote. It was one of the privileges of a Roman citizen secured by the Semprurian law that he could not be capitally convicted but by the suffrage of the people, which seems to have been still so far in force as to make it necessary to send the persons here mentioned to Rome. In footnote. But this crime spreading, as is usually the case, while it was actually under prosecution, several instances of the same nature occurred. An anonymous information was laid before me containing a charge against several persons, who upon examination denied they were Christians, or had ever been so. They repeated after me an invocation to the gods, and offered religious rites with wine and incense before your statue, which for that purpose I had ordered to be brought together with those of the gods, and even reviled the name of Christ, whereas there is no forcing, it is said, those who are really Christians, into any of these compliances. I thought it proper, therefore, to discharge them. Some among those who were accused by a witness in person at first confessed themselves Christians, but immediately after denied it. The rest owned, indeed, that they had been of that number formerly, but had now, some above three, others more, and a few above twenty years ago, renounced that error. They all worshipped your statue in the images of the gods, uttering imprecations all the time against the name of Christ. They affirmed the whole of their guilt or their error was that they met on a stated day before it was light and addressed a form of prayer to Christ as to a divinity, binding themselves by a solemn oath not for the purposes of any wicked design, 
but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to eat in common a harmless meal. From this custom, however, they desisted after the publication of my edict, by which, according to your commands, I forbade the meeting of any assemblies. After receiving this account, I judged it so much the more necessary to endeavor to extort the real truth by putting two female slaves to the torture who were said to officiate in their religious rites. But all I could discover was evidence of an absurd and extravagant superstition. I deemed it expedient, therefore, to adjourn all further proceedings in order to consult you, for it appears to be a matter highly deserving your consideration, more especially as great numbers must be involved in the danger of these prosecutions, which have already extended, and are still likely to extend, to persons of all ranks and ages, and even of both sexes. In fact, this contagious superstition is not confined to the cities only, but has spread its infection among the neighboring villages and country. Nevertheless, it still seems possible to restrain its progress. The temples, at least, which were once almost deserted, begin now to be frequented, and the sacred rites, after a long intermission, are again revived, while there is a general demand for the victims, which till lately found very few purchasers. From all this it is easy to conjecture what numbers might be reclaimed if a general pardon were granted to those who shall repent of their error. Footnote. These women, it is supposed, exercise the same office as Phoebe mentioned by St. Paul, whom he styles deaconess of the church of Sancria. Their business was to tend the poor and sick, and other charitable offices, as also to assist at the ceremony of female baptism, for the more decent performance of that rite, as Vossius observes upon this passage. In footnote. 98. Trajan to Pliny. You have adopted the right course, my dearest Secundus, in investigating the charges against the Christians who were brought before you. It is not possible to lay down any general rule for all such cases. Do not go out of your way to look for them. If indeed they should be brought before you and the crime is proved, they must be punished, with the restriction, however, that where the party denies he is a Christian and shall make it evident that he is not by invoking our gods, let him, notwithstanding any former suspicion, be pardoned upon his repentance. Footnote. If we impartially examine this prosecution of the Christians, we shall find it to have been grounded on the ancient constitution of the state, and not to have proceeded from a cruel or arbitrary temper in Trajan. The Roman legislature appears to have been early jealous of any innovation in point of public worship, and we find the magistrates during the old republic frequently interposing in cases of that nature. Valerius Maximus has collected some instances to that purpose, and Livy mentions it as an established principle of the earlier ages of the commonwealth, to guard against the introduction of foreign ceremonies of religion. It was an old and fixed maxim likewise of the Roman government not to suffer any unlicensed assemblies of the people. From hence it seems evident that the Christians had rendered themselves obnoxious not so much to Trajan as to the ancient and settled laws of the state, by introducing a foreign worship and assembling themselves without authority. End footnote. Anonymous informations ought not to be received in any sort of prosecution. It is introducing a very dangerous precedent and is quite foreign to the spirit of our age. End of Correspondence with the Emperor Trajan Recording by Philip Gould